Good afternoon, Medvet listeners. This is Keith coming at you from the Camera Social Studios. And today we are going to be speaking with Tracy Peters. She is the wife of Matt. And this one really hits close to home because Tracy works with us and she's probably the, the uh, a reason why we wanted to have a segment on, on breast cancer. Yeah, absolutely. So today you can look forward to hearing uh, Tracy's firsthand experience of what she went through as a patient daughter, wife, and mother. I'm interested to see what kind of research methods Tracy used, how she communicated what she was going through with her daughters. It's one of those things where, what were you experiencing? What did you go through? And so I'm sure Tracy will be uh, very insightful. Listeners, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. We're going to start with Tracy doing a scratch-off. Now, I'm going to ask you to do the scratch-off. Pause a little bit, you know, if you won or if you didn't win. So, okay. please. As you're scratching it off, just let us know the name of the uh, the game and what you're, you know, as you're scratching off. What you're scratching off, please. All right. Well, I got a $1 triple Texas Lotto scratch-off. $1,000. Oh, yeah. And if I don't win... This is a nice quarter, and it's from the state of Wisconsin. I think I'll be pocketing that. <laughs> First one says $1,000. All right, here's the instructions. Scratch to reveal six prize amounts. Reveal three matching prize amounts. Win that amount. Reveal two matching prize amounts and a triple seven symbol. Win triple that amount. Okay. So I've got a $1,000. i have got a $10.00. I've got a $100, another $1,000, uh-oh, drum roll, here we go, last one, $20, $20? I did not, I, I won this really shiny quarter from Wisconsin, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you won something. This one isn't a winner, but... Uh, like you said, you can take the quarter home. But thank you. It's my consolation prize. What's that music I like? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. It's always good to see you. Not that I don't see you every day. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about today is about a week ago, we had your husband, Matt Peters, in here. And it was a wonderful conversation we had with Matt. And really... We just wanted his perspective as a man, a father, a husband, and a son on breast cancer. I would like to know your story as a mother, a coworker, a wife, a daughter, and a friend. Now let me know the story from the time you got the call, the doctors. What, what led up to that? That time you called Matt, just if you don't mind sharing that type of story. Sure. I don't, I don't mind at all. I think it's really important to start out with annual screenings. You need to go in, you need to go for your annual screenings, your annual checkups. And I found mine very early simply by following those roles. You go in, you get the checkup, something's not quite right. You go in for additional testing and then all of a sudden your world is rocked when you get that, those diagnosis that there's something potentially life-threatening wrong. As far as the journey, I mean... There's so many dimensions 
to something like that. When you get news that's, that does kind of like rock your world, it's, uh, it's emotional, it's cerebral, it's physical. There's just so much that's going on. There's so many different dimensions and dynamics that are involved that it's hard looking back on it to really remember where you were because you're kind of all over the place. I got my diagnosis at the end of August in 2019. And just as a little backstory so that kind of the audience can understand how I dealt with it and why I dealt with it the way that I did. My father had a stroke about seven, eight days after I found out. I had a cousin who was in the last stages of stomach cancer who passed away shortly after my surgery. I had a daughter who was graduating from college. <laughs> I had a, a husband who had been unemployed for six months prior. So I was physically and emotionally kind of worn down at that point. I put a lot of trust and a lot of faith in the doctors to tell me what needed to be done, how it needed to be done, when it needed to be done. My gynecologist originally referred me to my first doctor, and she was pretty young. I don't think she had the, nearly the amount of experience that she needed to, <laughs> to deal with me. But why? What, what makes you say that? Her office was just really unorganized. She seemed young. Type of doctor that'll forget you in the examination room twice, one hour each time, to the point where you've got to walk out and a nurse says, Excuse me, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm just making sure you guys still know why I'm in here. And then it had a lot of inconsistencies with scheduling. She didn't ask me anything about me, what was going on with my life. She just basically said, This is the surgery that I do, this is where I do my incisions. This is how it goes. This is in the beginning phases for me, so I didn't really know what to ask. Well, why do you do it there? What are the pros and cons? What's the normal way? I was just told how it was going to be. With her in her office, th there was a lot of miscommunication. They were going to send me in to have one part of the procedure done on a Wednesday and second part of the procedure done on a Friday for something as simple as a lumpectomy for breast cancer. I'd done enough reading at that point to know that that's not right. If you get a guide wire inserted, it needs to be prior to surgery and surgery immediately after. And so when I started questioning her, it finally got to the point where we realized it was just a personality conflict. I had so little faith and trust in them that I had called them up and I told them, I, I, don't, I don't trust you. I don't believe the information that you're giving me is correct. And it was kind of a, a mutual parting of ways. It's, it's a shame that I wasted so much time and, and money and effort when I'm going through all of this other stuff just to have that first surgery fall apart. It gave me the opportunity to start searching for the right surgeon, someone that was going to listen to me, listen to my wants, my needs, and everything that's gonna, going on in my life at that time. So when I found the second surgeon. And she was fantastic. She really was. But she was a straight shooter and a, and a quick negotiator. And before you know it, in with her and in surgery, like within, you know, the next two weeks. Okay. What was it about her that set the other surgeon apart? I walked in her office after having such a rough experience with the first one. And she looked at me as a, as a person. And she looked me in the eye and she said, first thing I do when a new patient comes in, she says, I look at him, I want you to take a breath with me. We're going to breathe in, we're going to breathe out. And she said, I'm going to stare you straight in the eye and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be all right. And that was the first time throughout this entire experience that somebody had looked at me and saw me. 
not just a paycheck at the end of the day. Because, uh, come on, you know, medical industry, you know it better than anybody. It's a business. (laughs) How many people can we get in? I uh, ended up going with her, and I mean, it's kind of like a, sounds like a lame story, but I was really trying to push as hard as I could to get all of the surgeries and the radiation and everything else done by the end of the year, because you know how it is. You need deductibles and money, and you know, you want to try and keep it in one calendar year. How was your husband's reaction when, when you told him, and not only his initial reaction, how would you say his role throughout everything played like what you know as your husband how do you feel like he he took the news and his reaction and how how things played out along the way you know he was kind of like a shield for everything that I couldn't shield from everyone it's like my my mom was an extreme amount of pain and anguish my family with my cousin was an extreme amount of pain and anguish I've got kids that are taking finals he had just started a new job two weeks prior to me being uh, diagnosed, so he was trying to fit in with a new culture and a new position and a new company. I've got one child that's worried about what it means for her. I'm not trying to, to, to talk bad about all of these different situations. It's just that at that moment in time, what I was going through seemed so insignificant because everybody else's lives around me were literally falling apart. And the last thing that I wanted to do is to, to look at them and, and burden them with what was going on with me. Who needed more put on their plate at that time? So you're basically selfless. You're thinking about everybody else, what they had going on, even though you were going through something. When so many things were falling apart, you know, just having to, to suck it up, swallow it, and keep going was, was hard. The first doctor kind of didn't give you, you, you didn't trust her. At all. At all. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. After I kicked her to the curb or she kicked me to the curb or however you want to say it, it was a mutual, this is not going to work. It was probably two weeks later. You ever heard of that Burger Place Snuffers? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It's Snuffers. It's a terrible name. It's a terrible burger. But we decided (laughs) to go because it was like I was feeling down on myself. Surgery's coming up and all of these things. And it's like I just... That's, that's one of the bad things. I, I turned to food in all of this time. Probably gained more weight within the last year than I even want to admit. But we went to Snurfish to get a burger. And who walks in but this first surgeon? <laughs> and she's with her husband. And his husband, her husband is just pounding back beer sitting at the table. And she's got three kids who are under the age of five. She's got like a four-year-old. She's got like a two-year-old that's running around. She's got this baby that couldn't be more than six months. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was mad at this woman. Mad at this woman for not making me a priority. I didn't trust her. I didn't like her. I was convinced that if I ever saw her in public, I would care and I would go and confront her, you know? <laughs> and you had and, your opportunity now. <laughs> and I did. And she looked ragged. She looked stressed. She looked beat down. She looked like she had a husband that wasn't helping. Her kids are crying. She's in a restaurant. She looks embarrassed. I mean, she's doing everything that she can possibly do. And it was, it was at that moment that I forgave this woman. I mean, should she be a surgeon? Should she be a doctor if she's not physically and mentally able to do it? I don't know. I don't know if she should have been in that position. But as a person, I could honestly see at that moment she was struggling way more than I was with my nasty burger. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? You did something that not many patients know that they can't do, and that's releasing your first provider, your, your first surgeon, and getting a second opinion. 
was it a, a process for you to make that decision? Because again, not many people know that you can get a different doctor and you're in control of your care. So how did that make you feel? Actually letting her go, getting to the moment where I knew I needed to let her go. I mean, that was a tough decision. Did you know you had a choice? It's probably no secret to the listeners that I know you guys. And prior to all of our different conversations in the past about medical care and providers, had I not known you guys, I probably would have just stuck with her and figured this is, this is who my doctor sent me to. If she didn't trust her, she wouldn't have sent me. So I would have blindly put blind faith into this woman. Having had more experience in the medical industry and wanting to put my care first and wanting to be my own advocate and, and wanting to take care of me more than a relationship with a doctor who's going to be one and done and send me out the door, I wanted to make sure that, yeah, you know, yeah, I was comfortable with her. So, I mean, prior to meeting you guys, you know, KP and Marcus, I probably would have stuck it out. After meeting you guys and seeing how passionate you are about making sure that patients are getting the care that they deserve, yeah, I would say that you've been a huge inspiration in helping me make the decision to literally kick the girl to the curb. <laughs> well, I would say thank you, KP, too, because, you know, some of that information, a lot of it comes from you and your experience in the healthcare industry, so... Thank you for that, big brother. Aww. <laughs> no, I, 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 I appreciate that. And I'm glad that we're able to share that, our experience with you, you know, with you, Marcus, as well. Because that's one of the things that I personally want to advocate is putting patients in control of their care and knowing that they have options. We look at TV, we look at cameras, and we price shop. We look at reviews and everything, and we get referrals from professionals. We don't know what their agenda may be. A patient's paying their deductible. They're paying either with a voucher or something. They're in control of their care because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, like you said, it's about you, the whole self-care aspect of things. So Yeah. I mean, nothing's more personal to you than your own care. And, and I hated it feeling like a business. Every step of the way, it felt like a business until I found the right surgeon. It was at that moment that you actually felt like you were being cared for by not a nameless face, an actual person on the other side. I want to know about the research phase, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you went through Google, maybe YouTube. Tell me a little bit about, I don't, maybe not, let me know the sources you used. The extens extensivity, is that a word? How extensive was your research? Oh, according to Matt, you did plenty of research, so you were on point. So <laughs> I was probably a little fanatical with that. <laughs> where did you go? Like, how, tell us about it. How was that? Oh my gosh! I mean, where didn't I go? American Breast Cancer Association. I went there. Wiki pages. I googled everything. I joined communities online. Just not so much to, to ask questions, but to read about different topics that other people had already discussed. I didn't feel like I had enough time at that, in, at that point in time to ask questions and wait for responses. So there were tons of forums that I had gone through. Honestly, as much research as I did, it still wasn't enough. There's still more after the fact that you learn that you wish you would have known going in. And I think the only way to correct that is time. Somebody gives you a diagnosis like this, and internally it feels like they're 
you know, shooting a starting pistol. Like, you just got to start running. I got to get this taken care of. It's almost neurotic in a sense. Where, in hindsight, I actually wish I would have waited a little bit more. Why do you say that? It was too much. If it was just me going through this with my family as a safety net, it, I think I would have been fine. But going into the holidays with so much going on with my dad, my cousin, my kids, all of the traveling, them coming for Thanksgiving because they didn't want me to travel, it was, I, I didn't, I couldn't rest. I never stopped. Between work, it was, it was enough at 6 o'clock in the morning to bed at 11, 12 o'clock at night thing for four months straight. And half the time I kind of felt like a zombie walking around just kind of going through the motions because there was just so many things that needed to be done. Funerals and such. I was pretty much taxed by the end of uh, December. But I think that's one of the uh, the unknowns because you get that diagnosis. It's like, what do I do now? I want to make sure I get myself taken care of. And for you, you did have a whole lot going on. And so sometimes you probably couldn't wait three months or something like that. So I wish it, one doctor would have said to me, because I think I was open and honest with the doctors because they would ask me, hey, what's going on in your life right now? And kind of tell them, I wish one person would have said, hey, sweetheart, you've got a ductal carcinoma. carcinoma. I mean, if you did nothing, it's going to take 10, 15 years before it gets you down. You've got a couple of months if you need to take them. It's not like it's metastatic. If somebody would have said to me, because I, I didn't really know how to figure all of this out, determine how severe it was at the time, it's only in hindsight that I'm looking back going, somebody should have said, if you're not comfortable right now, we can, we can put it off a couple of months. You know, I wish I would have known that. That's part of the research that I didn't know going in. Because when someone says cancer, you run. You just, you're in some type of crisis mode. But it wouldn't have made a difference because the type that I have, um, with the size of the tumor that they took out, they, had, they estimated that it took three years for it to grow to that point. So it would have been there for three years. It was just now large enough for them to find it to give me a diagnosis. If I would have waited three months, it wouldn't have mattered that much. Who knows? I could have been in a better place. But now I'm looking at all this stuff going on with COVID-19 and the pandemic, and I'm like, okay, well, did I do the right thing? I wish I would have waited, but if I would have been stuck in all of this, what would that have been like? Yeah. That's a good way to look at it, yeah, because, you know, no one, you know, predicted COVID-19 coming out, and so... Yeah, it kind of, damn if you do, damn if you don't. What is your mother, how did your mother feel about everything? When you broke the news to her, what was kind of like her take on everything? I mean, extremely concerned. This is the first time that anything like this has ever been diagnosed in the family. I think she took it as a wake-up call because it had been a couple of years since she had gone and getting her gotten her test done. Two weeks afterwards, she was literally living in a hospital for three, four months with my dad while he was in ICU, so... There was a level of concern and love and wanting to be there, but there was just too much going on in her life to really play a support role. What did you think about breast cancer prior to your diagnosis? What were your thoughts? Like, did you think it couldn't happen to me or anything like that? Oh, yeah. No, it's not going to happen to me. (laughs) And a lot of people probably are like that, you know, like Mm -hmm. they don't think it can happen. Then when it happens, it's like, holy shit. I got to get going like what and that and that's probably why you felt the need to like we got to get this handled now because one no one's letting you know like all right it's it's something serious but it's not like a right now type of serious Mm -hmm. 
And that's not being communicated, so. No, I mean, well, there are some that that are, like the, the metastatic breast cancer. Those need to be taken care of right away. Those are the ones that potentially spread the fastest. What I had is just, it just kind of sits there for a while. You know, it doesn't really do too much. So what was the, the process? So you went to the doctor and then they scheduled you a... MRI or something, or what do they schedule? The yearly just mammogram. It was after the mammogram was finished. They looked at the results. They saw a spot, and then they sent me for an ultrasound, which they really couldn't, you know, find anything on that. And because of the mammogram, they went ahead and did another image of that side, found it consistent with the first, and then, you know, asked me if I, I would do a biopsy. Genetics testing just to make sure that you don't have, like, the, the BRCA genes or the other genes where it would potentially spread to other parts of your body. CAT scans. you know. I'm sorry, not CAT, MRI. Okay. MRI with a dye, just to make sure that there isn't one or two more. So, I mean, you know, the, doc, the second doctor that I went to was, was really very thorough. The first one basically went off of the biopsy and said, yeah, we'll just go take it out, and this is how we're going to do it. The second one was... Even though, you know, we may or may not have needed the test, she's the one who sent me for the additional testing. She said, you're going to end up hitting your deductible by the end of the year anyway. Let's make sure that this is all we need. We can go in there and just take care of this. Because if there's a cluster of two or three more that are too small to be picked up by a mammogram, we need to make sure we take care of that too. If there's something in the other one that's just starting and it's still too small to pitch, we need to make sure we take care of that too. So, I mean, she was extremely thorough, and I'm, and I'm thankful for that. That's good. Having uh, daughters, what is going to be your recommendation for them moving forward? Not to miss a screaming. <laughs> I mean, even though I, I never had any history of this in my family, because I have it, there's a history now for them. My husband's mother was a breast cancer survivor as well. So at this point, they have it on both sides. I've already forwarded both of them my genetics testing just to see what I do and could potentially have in the future. So I've um, asked them whenever they go for their yearly checkups just to make sure that that stuff is added into their file so that their doctors know that they want to keep a keep an eye out for that. I mean, early detection, you know, that's, that's, that's your best course of treatment. If you wait too long, then... Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think getting that early detection is very, uh, very helpful, and so and then knowing your history is helpful also. So that way, the doctors can kind of make sure that they're assessing the situation. Every single place you go, it's constantly fill out this form, fill out this form. Don't you wish it was just some way for it to follow you, so you, you could just say, "Here's my chip, here's my card, scan it." <laughs> no, nah, I agree with that 100%. I think we had a, a previous conversation about that. Like, that that's what sucks about going to a new doctor, a new dentist, a new therapist. Anything. Like, you have to fill out paperwork, paperwork on paperwork on paperwork. Like, hey, what's your name, medical insurance? Like, and then just going through that process, it's like, like, who wants to go through that all the time? That sucks. <laughs> it does. I mean, I don't ever it want to sucks. get in a, in, a, in a place where Big Brother has too much of my genetic DNA and, yeah. and everything else. But at the same time, I mean, you're, you're a four-dimensional person. When you're walking in and you're handing somebody a two-dimensional piece of paper and asking them to to make you well, and they, they know nothing else about you. Now that that's over, what's next? How do you feel that you got the surgery? 
have things been with you, your family? It's business as usual. Are, is it still a concern for you? It is in a way. I mean, there are side effects of the surgery that I had that I didn't know about at the time. So lack of communication. There are always going to be other issues that pop up. When you go through breast surgery, what they do is they not only remove the tumor, but they also remove lymph nodes, and they're called sentinel nodes. Those are the nodes that are closest to the tumor at the time that it's removed. And they take those out to send those to pathology so that they can check them to see if there are any cancer cells that are present. If there are, they continue to strip nodes until they find out how far the cancer has gone and if it's spread to any other part of the body. I was really lucky. I only had to have three removed. They were able to check it, test it, and, and determine that it had not passed. But when lymph nodes are removed from your body, your lymphatic fluid can't move past those points anymore because it's a roadblock. They don't regenerate. They don't heal. You take it out. It's just gone. So you've got to find other ways for your body to, to process that fluid. And if it sits, it almost becomes toxic. That's one of the problems that I ran into after radiation surgery. I mean, after radiation treatment and surgery is that it, it, can, it continues to just harm that lymphatic system for a while. And with COVID, that's kind of impeded my ability to, kind of, to get the treatment that I needed. For a couple of months there, it was impossible to make an appointment with any doctor. Everybody wanted to see you online. And believe me, it's great. Zoom calls, fantastic. If you don't have anything that the doctor doesn't need to touch, see, and feel. Yeah. <laughs> but certain parts of breast cancer that you just don't want to put on the Internet. I don't care how secure <laughs> that camera is, do you know? If the doctor says, hey, let me see it, I'm like, no, I don't think so. I haven't done that with my husband. I ain't doing it with you. I need to come in, put on a mask, you know? <laughs> there are still side effects from the surgery and the radiation that, you know, I'm dealing with. And it's just certain statistics that you wish you would have known going in. Like, I did the research, but I didn't know that 50% of the people who go through the surgery end up with this problem. Had I known that, then I would have been looking for it as opposed to reacting to it like three, four months down the, down the road. If I would have known, I would have brought it up so that I could have gotten the treatments so that it didn't get as bad as it did before it was caught. So listening to your story, I, I, w I would like to say that it sounds to me that the most challenging time would, was probably dealing with the, the first doctor and all that misinformation and trust issues. The most time of like relief what would have been when you met the other doctor or just when the surgery was done yeah uh, I, there was a great deal of relief between letting the first doctor go and meeting the second one and it, it was I mean it was extremely stressful dealing with what I term incompetence I think it's really important for everybody to know that there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. They're not all straight-A students. I mean, there's a couple of C's and D's walking around in there, and you never really know what's going on in their life. So if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel, like, absolutely sure that you can 100% put your life in this person's hands and trust them, walk away. I mean, seriously, just walk away. It's not like, you know, you're buying a, a used car from a salesman and you get a lemon. There's some things you can take back. Yeah. This is one of those that you just can't take that back. 
So I don't regret letting her go at all. So so what about you, KP? You guys had the opportunity to, to talk to Matt, and at this point I still don't really even know what, what he said. He's just a great guy. I yeah. mean, he's he was he was a rock. He was so supportive. Emotionally, he just kind of knew when to, to hold my hand and then when to let me go and just be the bull in the china shop. So I was just wondering what you guys thought about the two stories. Or do they kind of make sense to you? Well, no, it, it does. You know, it gives me the perspective of two different outlooks, a husband and him being there for his wife. One of the things that Matt shared was he experienced it with his mother. With you being a person that you are, you had everything under control. You knew you did your research, did your due diligence, and you knew what had to be done. You were there to be supportive. I think he's giving me too much credit. I was more like a duck on the water. Everything looked calm on the surface, but my little legs were just kicking on. <laughs> but, but you know, I think that's going to be with anybody in most situations. You want to look cool, calm, and collective and not let others panic. One of the things Matt said that you're a very strong person. You really have a lot going on at that time. And so, yeah, but he said you're very strong. You refer to him as your shield because that that's kind of what he said is that as far as the research... Everything. He's like, man, Tracy did everything. She came, she told me this is what we had to do, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> it, it, it kind of... The, the there, was no, there was no second guessing. Yeah, yeah, the stories definitely coincided, I would say. Gotcha. Well, yeah, say. he kind of said that to me at one point. He's like, man, he was like, I bet you if you could have scheduled an Uber to pick you up from the hospital, he said, you probably wouldn't have asked me to do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did say something like that, too. <laughs> it's good because getting the family's perspective on this really... Understanding that is one of those calls nobody wants to have. Now, then what goes through your mind is, now what? And so, like you said, you're like the, the, the duck in water mm-hmm. to where you look like everything is flowing gracefully, but you're kicking and your wheels are spinning, you know, as far oh, as yeah. what do I do next? And I do. I think back, what would have it been like had my life around that time just been calm and and normal. I think that, you know, your your surroundings and, and, you know, the environment at the time plays a lot in how you deal with some of this stuff. I wish I would have leaned on more people. I wish I would have been a little bit more vulnerable and asked for help and, and invited people into my life at the time. But I, I it just, I didn't feel like I could. Yeah. It just seemed so insignificant with what everybody else in my family was dealing with. I had an issue with standing up, waving my flag, going, look at me. It's a terrible way of looking at it because it's it's a significant thing that's going on in my life. I should have invited. I should have shared more. One of the things I shared with you last year were things had to happen. Unfortunately, with Matt earlier in the year, everything going on, he, he had to go through that so that he could be there for you. And it's unfortunate, but those things had to happen. He was there for you. He was by your side. He wasn't traveling as much so he was there for you yeah the ultimate sacrifice um you know and i and you guys can cut this out if you want but he was offered his dream job he was offered his dream job in august right around the time that this happened it would have required him to move back to atlanta he was considering it there for a while going back jumbo commuting flying there working during the week coming back home you know on the weekends after 24 years of marriage I mean, you constantly fall in love with people all over again. You have a relationship, and you think you know each other, and then there's these small sacrifices that are constantly being made on both ends that just 
makes you feel special makes you feel like you're everything in the world to them because he was offered that and it was everything that he had wanted over these past six months of, of unemployment and struggling and looking to find that validation to to be offered a position that was everything he wanted and could be and to turn that down and look at me and go you know it's just a job my place is here with you it's just that was that was probably one of the best moments that came out of all of this is to, you know, after 24 years of marriage, for some man to stand there and say, I still choose you. And that was, that was pretty remarkable. So we're going to play this again in February for Valentine's Day. Because just, you know, just, just hearing how good of a man Matt is, man, puts me to shame. But, oh, no. Yeah. So it's a good love story also, you know, him being there for you. It's more like a lowered expectations version of Match.com. <laughs> All the seven from the hill. <laughs> no, it was a really good story. And I, I thank you for sharing your story with our listeners, with us. And just, I know you said you wish that you asked for more help and, you know, you wish you had more support when, you know, when people wanted to help. I wish that, you know, you were there and you, you spoke about it more, but... I think even just now having this conversation because there's going to be somebody out there that may have something similar. They won't rush. They'll take the necessary steps. They'll really look into their deductibles, their insurance. They'll know that they can walk away from a doctor. I thank you for, for sharing that because it's important. And as someone is going through this and if they find this podcast, they'll, they'll know, like, all right, I'm, I'm doing the right steps, doing the right research. I thank you for that, Tracy. Seriously. Yeah, it's all about being comfortable and happy with your decisions. And if you're not, then I don't know what sixth sense is kicking in. But if, if your body's telling you to move, to run, your mind's telling you to get away, go. <laughs> don't stay. Oh, thank you for sharing your story. We're going to thank Matt also, and we'll help others down the line. Oh, you're very welcome. I've had a good time. I didn't win anything on the scratch off, but you're a winner in my heart. No, oh, I got my Wisconsin quarter. <laughs> you're a winner in my heart? Man, Marcus is just so cheesy. So, KP, what did you think about that? Man, it was better than I expected. Tracy touched on a, a number of points, and she sent me uh, some kudos for our experience in, in healthcare. And because of that, she took the courage to realize that she wasn't happy with her own doctor. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then she's seen her in the restaurant, and I guess she really understood why she had to let her go. Yeah, and like it, it, those kind of things put things into uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, seeing her out socially and just kind of saw what she was going on. It was also, I want to give a big shout-out to, to my man KP for sending all the inspiration. I'm going to give another shout-out to Matt for being such a good husband, being a good man, putting his family first, and turning down his dream job. Yeah, no, he, he was definitely a, a good support system, you know, for Tracy, and that's something that she really needed because, you know, she was going through a lot. And at the end of the day, you want to encourage women and also men to continue to get checked, not just in October, but ongoing. Mm -hmm. And along with that, last note is don't be scared to find another doctor, all right? Just because you'll see the first doctor doesn't mean you have a tie-in or a ultimate commitment, okay? So 
if you feel like you, you know, you're not getting along or your doctor's really not meeting your needs, search for someone else. Again, thanks for listening to the MedVets, and there is more to come as we support Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And thanks for listening. Please make sure to subscribe.